Welcome to episode 106 of On The Schmooze. Let's do this. Welcome to On The Schmooze, the podcast that highlights talented people from different fields, explores how they built strong networks, and overcame challenges on their way to becoming successful leaders. Now here's your host, Robbie Samuels. As I mentioned a couple of weeks ago, July has been incredibly busy. I was so focused on prepping to attend two major conferences, which were awesome by the way, that I wasn't as focused on another opportunity on my calendar. There was actually a third conference on my schedule. This association conference was being hosted just 1.0 miles from my house, so it didn't require a ton of logistical planning to attend. This one, I was speaking in front of hundreds of people about my signature topic, Art of the Schmooze, Strategic, Effective, and Inclusive Networking. I wasn't actually attending this event, just showing up for my session and for the welcome reception afterward. The session went really well, but I left knowing I had missed a big opportunity. I should have planned ahead to videotape the session. Several hundred people attended. There was a lot of interactivity, a bit of improv, and they laughed at all of my bad dad jokes. And since it was a local event, I could have fairly easily found a professional to record it for me. Alas, I was focused on making the most of the other two events, and I just didn't have the bandwidth to see this obvious opportunity to get great video for my speaking business. Your challenge for this week. Take a moment to look ahead at your schedule over the next month. Yes, you want to be planning for the big events, but don't overlook the really simple ways you could extract greater value from the other opportunities. Sometimes it's as simple as reaching out to one person to schedule a coffee or lunch while you're in their neighborhood for an entirely different meeting. Maybe you're going to run into an influencer at one of your upcoming events and just take a moment to leave a five-star review for their book or podcast before you say hello. Maybe you could share a helpful and relevant article with your colleagues that you know you're going to be seeing in a few days and then chat about it with them when you see each other. There are so many simple little ways you can provide a bit of value or get more from an opportunity. It doesn't need to be a big event that requires a ton of advanced planning. Try this and let me know how it goes. Now, onto this week's show. Today's guest has been recognized as one of Europe's leading business networking strategists by the Financial Times and as a master of networking by The Independent. He believes networking is a vital tool in business, from sales generation to career development, but that it's not treated with the same strategic consideration as other business methods. As a networking business strategist, his solution is to help companies understand why they are networking, what they want to achieve, and how to use those answers to plan accordingly and get great, measurable responses. He's an experienced international speaker, the author of three books on networking, with another to be published next year, and has been quoted in a number of other business books. He's a fellow of the Professional Speaking Association and one of just 23 recipients of their Award of Excellence. He's also a fellow of the Learning and Performance Institute and a master of the Institute of Sales Management. Please join me in welcoming Andy Lapata. Thanks, Robbie. Thanks for having me on the show. Andy, thank you so much for joining me for your office in London. I am thrilled to have you here. Uh, As you know, this is a show about uh, leadership and building great networks. So tell me, what does leadership mean to you? And when did you realize you had the skills to lead? 
It's, it's very interesting because I never saw myself as a leader. When I, when I was in employment in my 20s, I was the world's worst manager. And I always equated the two things. I worked out very early. I wasn't uh, earmarked for management. And, and when I heard people talk about leadership and you heard the term banded around, um, that's what I sort of imagined. And I thought, well, that's not me. And then a few people started saying to me, but you are. You are a leader. People come to hear you speak. They come to learn from you. They, they read your books. You're leading in a different way. So I think that asking me what leadership means to me is making a very clear distinction between managing people, managing a team, managing a project, or leading people in terms of giving them some inspiration, giving them guidance, showing the way. And if, if I qualify... And it's not for me to say, um, but if I qualify, then it would be the latter, certainly not the former. Um, so that would be the point where I started to accept the term a little bit more when it was applied to me. Um, and a, a few years ago, I was asked to speak at a leadership conference in Romania. And I said to the person organising it, I don't speak on leadership. I'm not an expert on leadership. And he'd seen me speak before in, in Bucharest. And he said, no, I want you and I know that you can do it. So what I started to look at for that talk, which I've delivered several times since, was the, the networking traits that great leaders exhibit. And I interviewed a number of people that I would classify as great leaders in my network and said to them, in what way does networking fit? And, and when you look at it that way, a lot of what I teach uh, are very, very important parts of the leadership function of being an effective, strong leader. So there is a tie-in um, between the two for sure. I love this piece about, one, uh, I want to underscore this part about you can't claim the title, it has to be bestowed upon you, yeah. <laughs> um, which yeah. is which is a, a gracious uh, thing, but also I think kind of true. Like the people who tout, tout their own uh, attributes and, and toot their own horn, it's like, I don't know. <laughs> You're like talking about it a lot, but are you doing it? Um, and also that the that the things that you teach, um, which you know, you think you and I are very aligned in the kind of way we we think about this word networking and relationships and and the impact that that lens can have on your business and on your life. Um, that those are leadership skills. That the best people, the best leaders, have those skills. And there can be people who have those skills that don't yet think of themselves as leaders. Yes. Yeah. yeah. That, that's right. And I, and I think the point you make about my comments about not claiming the title for myself is a key leadership quality. And I'm not claiming that for myself in doing so. Um, <laughs> but, but I, I get exasperated when I see the amount of people on LinkedIn, for example, who claim they're a guru. You know, to me, I, I hate the word, by the way. And for me, it conjures up the Maharishi and the Beatles at the top of a mountain, not someone talking about business. But the world's number one guru at this. Well, who, who said that? Um, the, the, the UK's leading expert in or the US's leading expert in. Determined by whom? Right. And, um, and I think that people who proclaim that for themselves um, lack a humility that, that is a core part of, of great leadership. So I, my opening uh, remarks about you shared your sort of piece of your bio. And it, the term that I want people to underscore here is that you were recognized as a 
And then there was a bunch of great attributes. And so the point here is that there were actual entities that recognized you for having those skills. Very true. So bring me back even younger. I want to I want to like really peel back this onion a little bit and like look at when you were a little one uh, on the playground in high school, you know, uh, at university, what what were you like then? Were you the the kid organizing people to to like do teams on the playground? Did you run for any official office? Were you kind of the quiet one who watched everything? Did anyone see in you like some potential? I was the noisy, obnoxious one. Um, uh, I certainly in later years in school and on into university, I was very active in organizations. So um, we have in the UK, we have sixth form, which is the senior years in high school, I guess, for you, the, the years before university. Um, and there I was organising the debating society. Um, at university, I um, was in the debating society. I stood for president. I was uh, involved with Amnesty International. So I was our regional uh, representative. I set up the Football Supporters Association for our region, uh, for, for students. Um, and that's football, the real game, the one played with yes. feet. Yes, um, feet. <laughs> <laughs> I, I was part of the anti-apartheid movement. I think I spent more time being involved in things and actually going to lectures and classes. You and I um, share that. <laughs> so, so I, was, I was very involved, um, uh, probably from quite a young age. What um, drove you? What was the what was the impetus for that kind of well, that level of effort? I don't know to be honest because I haven't been in therapy, and maybe that will be an interesting thing to find out. I was I was badly bullied at school. You know, you said think back to when I was little. I'm still little, but I was very little, little then, and I was badly bullied. And I think it was probably um, a way of proving myself, uh, an opportunity to to have some import which I couldn't have in the playground or in sports and so forth because physically I wasn't, you know, I wasn't competitive. Um, I was the smallest in my year for, by some way. So um, maybe there's something in that. But actually I enjoyed it. And, and even before I heard the term networking, which I didn't come across until my very late 20s, I was always doing it. I was always connecting people, introducing people, making things happen. Um, and that sort of followed me you know, into what I do professionally now and what I do outside. You know, I, I'm very active outside my day job in uh, committees. I'm a trustee for a charity. Um, I organise, separately to that, I organise a charity event um, in my local area. I'm involved with Special Olympics, um, arranging presentation skills for Special Olympic athletes. Um, so that's carried on to a large degree. You make me wonder, actually, when I first learned the word networking. Because like you, I was very involved and active, not in the formal leadership roles. I actually remember running uh, for some sort of student body office, not winning because it was a popularity contest and I wasn't that student. Um, But then I actually had all the students who won building signs for a campaign that I was running. Yeah. <laughs> separate from student government <laughs> i basically like put them to work for yeah. something i was doing um but this idea of when did that when did that recognition that this is actually a thing um come it's really interesting because you know it's it's a little amorphous what you and i teach and a lot of people think you just sort of learn it along the way but most people aren't learning these skills when did you realize that what you had to offer the things you had learned in life 
was a marketable skill that people would actually pay for? It's an interesting question. I think my journey was slightly different in that my father co-founded a business network when I was 29. Mm. Um, and I joined that after six months. So that's where I heard the term. And I joined part-time because I wanted to become a freelance writer. I'd quit my job and I was going to, he said, come and help us while you get some commissions. But that ended up being the thing. And I went on to develop training and so forth. So it, was an all, it wasn't a natural journey. It was almost a forced journey. But I think that there are people to whom it comes naturally. And there are people who have to work at it and learn how to do it. And I think both are valid. And it, it always interests me when I read, I've just finished reading a, um, a biography of Rupert Murdoch um, by Michael Wolfe, who wrote the, the infamous book on Donald Trump last year. And you read about the way Murdoch networks, and Wolf describes him as a consummate networker. And a lot of it is very forced, it's very contrived, it's quite manipulative. Um, and I'm not saying that as a criticism of Murdoch. You know, what he did was he, he, he built and leveraged a network to help him get to uh, a certain place. And in some of those ways, I have no doubt he would have taken advantage of his network. And in other cases, he may well have supported his network. That, that There's no depth of discussion of that in, in, in the Wolf book. Um, but what struck me about it is that there, that there are a lot of people who think that networking is purely a manipulative exercise. Um, and even if you strip away the negative connotations of the word manipulative and you say it is a conscious exercise to build and leverage a network now you can do that and you can do it in a an altruistic support not say altruistic but a supportive way a generous way uh, a, a positive way um but actually whenever i read books about people that do that i don't get it because i've always just supported through a natural enthusiasm and what I've had to teach myself, um, I guess, is, is to know when to ask and what to ask and to get the support back, not expecting it, not demanding it, but knowing when it's right and opportune to ask. So we all have certain things to learn, but we start at different points in that spectrum. So what we need to focus on might differ depending on where we start. Yeah, and I, I, this piece about how people often think about networking, there was that study by Harvard and Northwestern recently about how... Um, it, people do really think of networking and it makes them feel dirty. But the people in that study who felt that way were, were having sort of that more transactional what's in it for me type of networking that you were just describing, this sort of like almost Machiavellian, like the ends justify the means kind of approach. And then the people in the study who didn't feel that way were the more senior executives who had achieved success, had resources, had introductions they could make they could offer advice. They walked into those same spaces. They didn't feel dirty because they were ready to offer something. And I think that's the distinction that you're talking about too. It's like, you're just genuinely giving. And in fact, you have to almost train yourself to think, okay, this is actually now an appropriate time to ask for something. Whereas other people are always asking. And, and you, need to, you need to have the balance because actually both ends of the spectrum are wrong. Uh, and counterproductive. The person who just takes will see their network shrink. The person who just gives will have a very big network, but they, they won't have a career and they won't have a business because they won't accept. It's not even about asking. They won't accept the support. 
uh, and the classic example of this was when um, I saw a friend of mine who was really struggling with his business. And I sat down with him and I said, I've met someone and I'm going to introduce you because I think there'll be a really great contact for you. And I went on to describe why. And he said, they sound brilliant. I'm going to introduce them to so-and-so. And I said, stop. It's not for someone else. This is for you. You need help. And this is someone who can help you. Uh-huh. But his, his way, wow. his generosity was to such a degree that he couldn't accept or recognize help for himself. And I, I'm always very conscious that what I do is I've built my business. I've built my, my, my knowledge bank, if you like, by analyzing what I do and what's effective and what I do that doesn't work, what other people do in both criteria, as well as reading a lot of uh, 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 other books on networking. Um, and a lot of what I've done is to deconstruct almost subconscious activity and say what made that work and then teach that. And when you deconstruct something that's subconscious and generous and you turn it into something structured, it suddenly becomes dirty. And what I have to say to my audiences and and, and my trainees very often is this will feel manipulative. This will feel cold because I've had to deconstruct it to show you what works. But when you act on it, you have to have authenticity. So you might well think about your network. You might well consider what you're looking to get. You might well focus on who you should ask for something. But in every interaction, every engagement, you should be authentically you. And if you can do that, then that that strategic layer underneath is consumed by the authenticity above. And I think that's what we should be aiming for. Mm, I love this. The blend of that's so important. I have an online coaching program for entrepreneurial women. And I my early uh, in it, I asked them that they have to schedule two touch points a week two 15-minute intervals on their calendar where they stop and they think about someone they want to either reach out to. And it could be any, I give them like 16 ways they could reach out to this person. They could write a podcast review. They can send them an email. They can send them a gift, call them. (laughs) And the point isn't those 15 minutes. It's the habit of doing it. So by the end of the 90 days, they're actually doing it five times a week without prompting. And that's when it's not, like you said, this strip down process, step one, step two, step three. It's just, I see a thing and now I'm going to offer this other person, this, this, this resource, this introduction. I'd see it and I act on it because I think a lot of people either don't see their possible connections because they're not, the brains, I mean, my brain is wired in a network kind of way. They either don't see it or they don't know how to take action on it. And they just, they just stop themselves from being the person who offers by making introductions. They don't see the effort being worthwhile, I guess. How do you get people past that inertia? Well, I think exactly what you've said. You you have to build the muscle first. So you have to form the habit. What you're doing, I'm doing something very similar. Ivor Meisner at BNI has introduced something almost exactly the same. So I think we're all thinking along the same uh, lines. And I, I use the term touch points as well. So Ivan has his networking scorecard, which is a series of actions you have scores for. For my clients, I give them a touchpoint spreadsheet. And it says, who are the key people you need to be front of mind with? Because a lot of my clients um, are in a position where they have intermediaries who, as part of the process, 
recommend someone in my client's line and my client wants to be the one they recommend at that point. So they have to be front of mind. So I give them a touch point spreadsheet and it might be like a social media post is one point. Um, have a transactional phone call is three points, a relational phone call is five points and so on. And how many points do you want to score with this person this month? Ah. And, and if they keep doing that, eventually they won't need the spreadsheet anymore. Right. It will be automatic. Like your 90-day program, eventually they won't need it because they'll be doing it. So, you you, you know, you overcome inertia by by creating habits. I'm, I'm trying to lose weight at the moment, um, and I'm going to the gym regularly, and, and I'm watching what I eat. Now, the more I've been focused on my nutrition, the more conscious I've been of eating the right things, the more natural it suddenly becomes. Mm-hmm. Turn down the bad option and and, mm-hmm. good. and i'm not saying i do it every time but it's not my automatic response that i must go for the chocolate fudge cake every single time <laughs> um, because i've built the muscle i've built the the habit and, and i think that that's what you have to do and that's where what should be natural and authentic initially needs to be contrived and strategic yeah, and actually combining your your two examples, one thing they also have in common is a goal. I think that networking without a goal, uh, at least some distant goal, um, some reason for it is just collecting friends or just collecting business cards on the low end and just collecting friends and acquaintances on sort of the like relational end, I guess. But it's not serving your business. I, I think that people lose sight of that sometimes. So, so I think you're right. Like, you know, the reason you're turning down the chocolate fudge cake is because you have a goal. The reason you're going to continue to make these efforts and these outreaches, these touch points is because you have a goal. And I think what you said earlier, I want to underscore, it's not that you know you're going to get something in return. It's just that, so I, can I tell you, I saw I described this for my mom because I was, you know, in my last years of working in my day job, which ended in 2014, I had an hour, a couple days a week that I met with people at a coffee shop next to my, like a block away from my job. And I scheduled it at a convenient time for me. And I probably met with people five times a month. I had people meet me there and I would show up. This is, this started back when I had a Blackberry, which tells you how long ago it was. (laughs) I showed up with a Blackberry and my brain and that was it. And I would chat with people and give them whatever connections, introductions, knowledge, whatever. And I wasn't charging, but I was meeting interesting people. They were learning about me. And my mother was like, oh my God, you have to charge, 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 charge. And I finally said, it's like giving rides to the airport. You do it because you have a relationship and you have the resources and because they see it as a favor. If you become known as the kind of person who gives rides to the airport, when you need one, you don't just get a ride, but it's not even from someone you necessarily helped. It's from someone who knows you to be the kind of person who helps others. And now more than a decade into all of that, I, there's like nothing I want for because people see me as a giver. And so when I make a request, uh, people are like, sure, how can I help you do that? And I think that, that takes a long time. I didn't do things 10 years ago knowing even what I'd ask for 10 years later. Yeah, and, and the, I've had exactly the same experience. The, I have a very simple uh, philosophy when it comes to giving. And, you know, when I explain it to, to in training, I, I simply draw a very straightforward graph onto uh, uh, an easel and flip chart. 
And one axis is uh, effort on my part um, of giving help. And the other axis is value to the other person. And then I split it into four quadrants. And in the first, I say, if it's high effort on my part, low value to them, don't bother. If it's high effort on my part and high value to them, we need a conversation. If it's low effort on my part and low value to them, I'll let them decide. But if it's low effort on my part and high value to them, and, and I don't know where I got the idea, but I put a tick and say, just do it. Um, <laughs> so, you know, th- there's a lot of ways you can support people that take you seconds, minutes, um, but have a high impact on them. And you don't do it with a view to return. You, you do it because you're investing in your networks. That Stephen Covey talked about uh, emotional bank accounts and that you, you, you don't go into a bank and say, I want to withdraw money if you haven't deposited any. Right. And relationships are the same thing. Um, and you invest in your network. Uh, but I have two addendums to that, if you like. One is that you don't deposit in a bank and never withdraw. And my friend I talked about earlier would deposit and never withdraw. And and you and actually, I wrote a blog telling his story with his permission and, and using that Covey uh, uh, example uh, metaphor for um, to make the point. Um, but the other point is that if I pay $10 into a bank account and, and I go into the same bank the next day and withdraw $10, the chances are it's not the same $10 note that I paid in. And similarly, if I pay into my network, I give, I support my network, then one day I withdraw from my network, it may not come from the same person. Right. Uh, and so that's where you move away from the very manipulative, uh, cold, you know, I've scratched your back, now your turn to scratch mine. Mm-hmm. We move away from that because we know we can give in one direction, but, but receive back from another. Yeah, this is, this is, I love meeting people who share my philosophy. I actually, I think of it as the philosophy of abundance, because if you, if you give away time or money, then you will have less time or money. But if you give away knowledge, that just sort of increases opportunity for everyone. And it doesn't deplete me at all. Um, And that's your quadrant. That's the low effort, high impact is usually knowledge for me. Like, you know, yeah. it's like information. I could just like share a link to something I wrote here. This will help you. Here's a worksheet. Oh, sure. Like, you know, I have a spreadsheet that I use to keep track of my podcast guests here. You can use it. Like I've already created the thing. Go ahead. <laughs> you know, like, but actually for me, knowledge is one thing for sure. And I've done it today where one of my clients has sent a, a, their email newsletter. It says, these are the three uh, business areas that we think are going to be the biggest growth areas. They're called corporate finance company. These are the three business areas we think are going to be the biggest growth areas in the coming years. And I've sent that to people in my network who are in those areas. That's a value to the people I sent it to, and it's a value to my client. Right. Um, so that share of knowledge is of value, and it's cost me nothing. I've, I've sent four emails. Um, and I've also emailed my client and said, I've done this. By the way, why isn't this on LinkedIn? So I've given them some advice as well. Mm-hmm. Um, but actually, I think introductions, connections can be hugely powerful at low effort. Mm-hmm. So I was talking uh, to Susan Rowan. Now, I don't know if you've had Susan as a podcast guest. I yes, of course. Um, so I was speaking to Susan earlier in the week. Um, or where are we? Uh, 
when we were recording this actually last week. And Susan um, mentioned uh, a publicist uh, that she used for when she brought out How to Work a Room 25th uh, Anniversary Edition uh, because we were talking about my book that I'm working on at the moment. And that's not a need for me this year. It will be a need for me next year when the book's published. Um, but a, a good friend of mine has just published a fantastic book with Hay House. Uh, she might make a very good podcast guest for you as well, actually. But uh, uh, amazing book, really inspiring book. And I know that the US is a big core market for her. So I sent, uh, I got Susan to send me the details of the publicist. I thought it's Jessica. Jessica replied and said, the publicists I hired in the US didn't really achieve what I wanted. So this is great. I might use them. I said, would you want me to ask Susan if she'll have a chat? And Susan, of course, said yes. I introduced them. I got an email from Susan this morning saying, what a wonderful woman Jessica is. And I I, I spent ages on the phone with her. I gave all this advice. And oh, so sweet. Now, that was a conversation with Susan, an email to Jessica, an email to connect with two of them. Some total of effort for me, negligible. Yeah. Potential value for Jessica, huge. Right. Actually, and hopefully, apart from the good feeling she would get from it, hopefully some value for Susan as well from that conversation, inspiration, someone else that she's connected to that may well pay it back at some point Mm -hmm. uh, in some way. So yeah, negligible effort, hopefully huge impact. And we can be doing that several times a day, every day, every day without even thinking about it. And when you develop that muscle, yes, then, then that just happens naturally. So you're in the camp that people can learn how to do this in a, in a muscle memory kind of way. They can go from walking through the world like a zombie mm. to activating this sort of network, you know, like the nodes. They could start to see the little possibilities and the nodes in the network and then take action. Like, so you, you actually yeah. see that possible. I, I, I'm, I'm really heartened by that because I too believe that. But so many people seem just really comfortable not doing it and just, just sort of seeing negatively uh, the whole idea of networking, like everything we described earlier. I'm curious, with all of this that you've been able to do, what has been most rewarding about the work you're doing today? Very interesting question. I would say it's when people give me feedback about what they've done as a result and what they've achieved as a result. One instant that sprang to mind was when I wrote my second book and Death Came Third, which was networking skills and presentation skills, which which I co-authored. Um, I, you know, I've seen, I wrote that for the community I knew at the time, which was small businesses. But I got a, an email, quite a long email, from an actress who said, "My flatmate gets rehearsals. Sorry, gets jobs without auditioning all the time. I don't even get the auditions. My flatmate has a network. I don't. And I've read your book and." It's just changed my way of viewing it, my, my life. Mm. That huge impact, and I mean that's a number of years ago now. Uh, more recently, I, I was in Asia earlier this year, um, gave some talks for HSBC, and I've had several um, LinkedIn messages from people who were on those talks saying, "I've done this as a result. I've done that. I've changed this." And in fact, before um, one of the talks, I had about four or five people who came up to me. Uh, I I spoke a year to the day from when I spoke for the same group uh, the year before. And 
several people came up to me before my presentation and said, we're so glad, I'm so glad you're back. I came last year and it was so inspiring and I've done this. And what I'll always say is, what did you do as a result? Mm-hmm. And people told me, and that energized me so much going into that presentation. So yeah. the most rewarding thing is feedback. And actually, one thing that I would say to anyone listening to, to, to this podcast, um, I try and action more, I don't do it enough myself, is if you read a book you enjoy, write to the author. If you hear a podcast you enjoy, contact the podcaster and their guest. If you read a blog, whatever it might be, give feedback. Because I, I have a, a newsletter that goes out every three weeks. And sometimes I'm banging my head against a brick wall because you feel like it's going out into cyberspace and, and into a vast echo chamber and nothing's happening. <laughs> and then people say, you know, off the cuff, oh, I always read your newsletter. I really enjoy it but they never email you. They don't come back to you. You'll get a handful of responses if you're lucky on any given week or edition. Um, but there are always people who are engaging with it. Take time and give feedback. Yes. Yeah, and it's, it also sounds like it's specific feedback. It's not just love your podcast, but here's what I heard and here's the action I took. I love that you asked them that question. I, I, at, right after my talks, I always say like, what stood out for you? What really resonated and when I see them again, I like to ask a similar kind of follow-up question, like, what stuck with you? What are you doing differently? Um, you know, and, and it's amazing to me, like, what people, you know, do keep from that, you know, like, what they incorporate into their life. And they don't always even remember where it came from, but when they see me, they remember. Um, so, yes, taking that action, and it's also a note to me, like, I was just having a conversation about, actually, I was talking about um, the importance of... Uh, um, Robert Putnam's uh, Bowling Alone from like the 90s. Um, And he's in my area, geographically speaking. Um, And someone said, don't just write him, go find him. And I was like, oh, right. Like that book really had a huge impact on me, you know, what, 15 years ago. And it inspired a lot of how I sort of decided, the you know, I have to do community building. And now, of course, there's all these studies that are coming out about isolation and loneliness. And and it's a framework that's, it keeps me going because I know how important it is. So I think anyone who's listening, if you feel like you've gotten a lot of value out of this conversation, you can find both of us. Our Twitter uh, handles will be in the show notes. And that's, I've had guests do, uh, sorry about it, had listeners do that. They'll send a tweet that will address both of us with a specific quote that resonated. And I always think like, it's so simple and it's so effective. It has a high impact. And everybody I've had on who's a speaker or a writer, they always say, this is the thing that, keeps them going that makes them feel most rewarded because as content creators you're just creating it into the abyss you don't really know how people are resonating with it you, you can see the book sales but it's not the same you know <laughs> like and you know I, I haven't got a book to promote this year you know i'm i'm not I, i'm not treating this podcast as a strategic this is to sell this that or the other it's the fact that we got introduced you said would you do the podcast podcasts like this help me get my message out and support people who aren't necessarily going to be my clients. Mm-hmm. Um, and it is the same with book sales, to be honest, because you don't make a fortune out of book sales. Um, the books are a way to get your message out to a wider audience and help more people. Um, and so giving feedback on that can, can be really powerful. Learning, um, you know, I, you can do these, spend 45 minutes, an hour in a conversation and never hear again. 
Right. And at some point you can say, well, what's the point of doing it? And so people giving feedback is really key. And going back to your point about the detail of the feedback, um, and I'll give detailed feedback now and a shout out. Um, when I started my speaking journey, so I joined the Professional Speaking Association in 2003. So I've been doing it for a few years, obviously since I was about five. Um, <laughs> and one of the first speakers I saw was a British speaker called Nigel Risner. Nigel's a motivational uh, speaker. And in a talk to speakers, the Professional Speaking Association, he said, what's more important to you, the applause or the results? And he said, we, we, we focus in this profession on happy sheets. You know, when you go to a conference and you're asked, to, what did you think of the speaker, one to five? And the organizer said, you got a 4.8. And you go, yes, great. Yes, that, that's a nice feeling. It's why we call it a happy sheet. But actually, if everyone scores you four or five out of five and then does nothing with what you've taught, it's been a waste of everyone's time and investment. And you're better off scoring 2.5, but 10 people going away and taking action and it making a difference to their lives, their organization, all the people around them. Um, and, and so I often say to my clients, come back to me in six months. You know, tell me what difference it's made in the organization in six months' time. Mm-hmm. And I'll go back to them and say, what have you seen as a result of? And, you know, you swallow hard before you make that call or send that yeah, email. Yeah, yeah. You're really putting yourself out there. But that's where the real gold dust is. That's where the most important stuff is. You, know, you make me think about it, some advice that I shared the other day. Um, people always, <laughs> my clients are always saying like, I wish I could do more of X, Y, Z, more speaking, for instance. And I said, okay, you've already had some speaking clients. Have you asked your current clients or your pa- more past clients for referrals? And they go, uh, no. I said, well, hey, he, here's how you do it. Don't ever say re- the word referrals, <laughs> but contact them, whether it's been a month or six months and say, hey, I just wanted to check in. Can we schedule a quick chat? I want to hear how it's been going since I presented. And then you ask that question. And then you end with, wow, you know, I would love to do more of this. Do you know anyone else who would appreciate the kind of program that I could bring to an organization? Oh, great. Would you make a couple of introductions for me? And like you remind them of the value that you brought. You hear the feedback where you might be able to improve or what really, really resonated. And then you ask them to say, make a suggestion. At that point, they, they feel like they're giving to this other person, right? They're not just like making introductions so you can do a sales pitch. Can I give you uh, uh, the, the, the next level on that? Mm-hmm. And the next level on that is I would tweak two things. The first is, yes, maintain the relationship throughout if you can, but make that call. And when you make the call about the feedback, make it purely about the feedback. Make it about them. That call is about them. And the only thing you want them to focus on mm. is what they've got and, and the value you bring. End the call. Then you go back to them. And you go back with a simple request. And that's your request for a referral because what you're doing is you're, you're keeping the conversation about how you serve them purely about how you serve them. And you're, you're, when you go in with a request for a referral, that's the sole point of the conversation. Only one thing to remember, and it hasn't diminished the focus on them. The next tweak is, is rather than say, do you know anyone else who will benefit? Because I always say anyone will get you no one. You're giving them all the work to do. Understand who you want to meet, understand who they know, and be specific in who you want to be introduced to. So, for example, 
when we spoke the other day, you mentioned that you do a lot of work with so-and-so or you talk to so-and-so. That's actually a company that I think that, you know, what I yeah. do value to them as well. Would you agree? Would it, do you think it might be of interest to them if you were to put me forward? Mm-hmm. To be really specific, give them a task that's so easy. I always talk about painting a picture in people's minds. And when you say anyone, you're painting yeah, a child's picture. It's totally so, true. Yeah, you want the Mona Lisa, not not the, the crowd scene. Yeah. So what's been challenging for you as you've developed your business and developed your 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 you know your offerings? Like what's a piece of this that's not the stuff that's yours? I guess what I mean by that is there are things you're really good at, clearly. What's the part of the business that you're like, I can't put all my time and energy into this because it's just not where my strengths are? And how do you overcome that? Well, there's so many ways to answer that question. On a very simple basis, um, I, I, I now have a PA, which I didn't for years, because I was investing too much time in, in setting up meetings or um, keeping track of certain things, knowing what I needed going into an event. The, the minutiae of business that's important, mm. but isn't my skill set and isn't where I should be focusing. I should be focusing my efforts on sales preparation and presentation mm-hmm. anything else goes to someone else and interestingly ever since i, I brought a, a pa on board my sales have gone up because you've been yeah. able to focus your time that makes a lot of sense so, so yeah. that would be the first answer to that question the second answer links in because i've for many years i've been involved in mastermind groups and it's one of the things i teach but I, I i was working on a presentation for this yesterday um and mastermind groups are peer groups of people who you trust and who, with whom you sit down on a regular basis and you have a no-holds-barred conversation about your challenges. And the mastermind group I'm currently in, uh, at the end of last year, where I'd had a pretty bad year, year and a half in business, uh, one of the guys said to me when we were looking at my challenges, they said, what one thing could happen that would help you sleep at night? And I said, well, the core of my business, the foundation of my business is one-year programs where I work with a client and I do presentations, training, and then mentoring to embed. And I said, we need five. And we have two. And we've had the same two for a year. So they're going to come to maturity pretty soon. Mm-hmm. And we haven't written any new. And he said, how many how many hours a week are you spending on getting those five? And I just looked at him blankly and went, ah, none. Uh, right. But there you go. And that, he said, get a PA. And that was in December. We're recording this in June. I don't know if I'm allowed to say that, but I've said sure, it now. That's fine. <laughs> We're recording this in June, so six months. We're now up to five programs. We've got two more, three more in the pipeline. Uh, I've actually signed off um, uh, as much business, nearly probably about three quarters of value in the last six weeks as we turned over two years ago um, because of that shift. So the answer to your question is I have mastermind groups and I always have had where I have people with a range of expertise, with a range of insight who are brutal, who are blunt, who can look at my business objectively and kick me hard in the backside. Yeah, and you do the same for them. I love it. I, I 
I run a peer mastermind. I run one for my business and I'm in one that uh, Liz Scully runs. And Liz Scully is sort of the master of masterminding. Um, and it's, it's incredibly valuable. I'm so glad you brought forth the, that into this conversation because it's, an, it's a totally different way of also getting to know a really diverse group of people who are at a high level of their game that you maybe wouldn't have met otherwise. Um, and I find incredible value in, in even that as breaking down some of the inherent sort of uh, silos and barriers that I live in um, by virtue of the work that I do. Um, so speaking actually a little more about networking again, I have a particular question I ask all of my guests, which is how do you uh, sustain connection and nurture con- relationships with not your closest circle, but like the second and third tier out, the the people you might meet once at a conference and you really enjoyed them and you you connected them on LinkedIn, you had a couple of nice video chats, but how do you sustain those connections in any kind of uh, ongoing way? And is it a habit? Is it happenstance? Like, what's it like for you? With difficulty. It, 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 is, it is tough. Um, you know, it's, we, we, we live in a, a very time-poor environment. Um, we're busy um, and there's a lot going on. And so it's easy for people to, to fall off the radar. I actually think it's okay for people to come in and out of your life. I, I picked up something on one of my early workshops that uh, a delegate on the workshop fed back. I'd never heard of it before. I've never been able to to find the original source. Um, and this is about 15 years ago. Maybe I should <laughs> claim it by now. Um, but it's 24 30. And that is you follow up with someone within 24 hours of meeting. And some people say, doesn't that make you look desperate? And I say, but it's not dating. Um, so within 24 hours of meeting, seven days, 30 days. And if you have three two-way touch points, meaningful ones, in that first month, you will be in each other's network and they will remember you. So you can then go a period of time without talking. Now, obviously, the more you interact, the longer that time stretches too. So I had, funny enough... I was at an event in Parliament, the House of Commons, yesterday, invited by one of the most connected women in the UK, who, when I met her originally, was at PwC, very senior at PwC at the time, nine or ten years ago. I met her for the second time two weeks ago. She invited me to this event in Parliament. But we had stayed in touch, even every now and then, just a drip, drip, drip of staying in touch, which meant that we stayed in each other's networks. This morning, I spoke to someone I used to mastermind with. So we he was a client, we worked together, and we masterminded. So our bond was very strong. We haven't talked for three years. It didn't feel like it. So I, I think that you don't have to always feel that bad about it. That happens. Build the strong bond first, and if the bond is strong enough, then you stick together. Um, so, so that's the, the first point. The second point, and you touched on it in the question, is social media. Social media is so derided, but it is so powerful to help us stay insight in mind. Liking, commenting, sharing. Every time you like, comment, or share someone's post, they, 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 you know, if they are engaged in social media, they notice it. And the more thoughtful, I'm not talking about just commenting, that's great, or congratulations. Occasionally, that's all you need to do. But thoughtful comments, thoughtful shares. Someone in my network yesterday, 
asked a network, her network, a question on LinkedIn. Uh, and it was a question for sales managers and sales leaders. And so I shared it to my network and I said, would any sales managers, sales leaders in my network please help with this question? You know, that's, that's a touch point. It's a strong touch point. It's supportive. So I think that's a great way to tie people together, to, to keep that bond strong. Um, because trying to meet up on a regular basis is really difficult. Yeah, no, and it doesn't have to be in person for sure. Yeah, take advantage of all these other ways that we can stay connected. And and my last question on networking is about the diversity of the network. How do you think about the diversity of your network? And is it something you're doing consciously to make sure that you have, and I mean diversity in as broad a way as you could take that? It's something I teach to be done consciously. It's something I've always done subconsciously, but have become increasingly aware of. Um, so one of the things I teach is you need a diverse network. If you surround yourself with people like you, then you're going to get the same ideas, the same input, the same introductions. You know, there's a, there's a famous piece of research by Mark Granovetta known as Granovetta's Theory of Weak Ties, which I'm sure you're aware of, which, which says that most new jobs were found through weak ties, people who weren't known by that candidate, because the strong ties all knew the same people. Therefore, the network was restricted. And, it, and whether it's introduction or information flow, ideas, whatever it may be, the more diverse your network, then the more restricted. So, so the more diverse your network, the greater the flow. So you need to diversify. So one of the things I teach my groups is that if you're a banker and you're Ivy League educated and you come from a middle class background and you're in your 30s, then you should be networking with people in the creative industries who come from a, a lower middle class, I guess in American terms, background, um, who didn't finish high school um, and are in their 50s or in their teens, you know, late teens. So we need to be surrounding ourselves with people not like us. I, you asked about me. Um, I'm a big football fan. And again, that's proper football. And I, I noticed once, years ago, I was at the pub, which is where we go before we go to games, and I looked around me at my close group at, at the game. I had the chairman of the local chamber of commerce, a bin man, a builder, a barrister's clerk, and so on and so forth. You, you couldn't really create, in terms of occupation, a more diverse network. But in the pub, we didn't think about that. We were all supporters of the same football team, and we're mates. Mm-hmm. And, you know, no one else would think like that. I think like that because, you know, it's like when I worked in publishing sales, I always used to read the adverts in magazines. You start ad- analysing, you know, what you do day to day. But I noticed the diversity then, and, and that's what we need to try and create one way or another. But I've always done it. I've always found myself at home, with people from different backgrounds. Yeah. And it sounds like uh, the commonality here is that, or what people could take away is that by doing activities that you have, that have uh, are of interest to you that draw people from diverse professions and, and identities and experiences to it, it's a great way. Like I, as a parent do a lot of parent organizing and that's been an incredible way to meet people. I, 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 w- I mean, we live in the same geographic area, but other than that, I don't know what else we would have had in common other than the fact that we were parents at the same time. 
Um, so I know we're wrapping up here. I know you've got a book coming out. I just want to give you an opportunity because that's probably your most exciting thing on the horizon. So share a little bit about what's, what this is. I know it's going to come out in 2019. What's it about? It will be out in the autumn of 2019. So we're probably a good year away from publication. It, it's, its working title is bigger than you. Whether that will be the final publication title, I don't know. But, but the, the, the principle is that, so I'm taking networking to a, a level beyond what I've written about and talked about before. The principle is that we live in a culture which is about proving ourselves and showing we're strong and showing we have all the answers, which means that in many environments, in personal as well as professional life, we put on a, a mask. You know, and people say, how are you? I'm, gra- I'm great. I'm fine. Do you remember in the 80s, there was this whole wave of motivational speakers who said, what do you say when people say, how are you? Do you say, I'm fine. I'm okay. Why not? I'm great. I'm fantastic. So suddenly everyone started saying, I'm great. I'm fantastic. I'm the speaker who says, um, what do you say when people say, uh, how are you? Well, what, what about if you're not okay? If you're not great, would you tell me? And it's about that. And it's about sharing. And it's about who you share with, when it's right to share, when it's right not, to, you know, when it's not right to share. So at the moment, I'm collecting stories. I, I've been interviewing people from all over the world, um, from people you won't have heard of, but have got incredibly moving and powerful stories. So friends of mine who, who um, have lost three, uh, three pregnancancies. Uh, had a miscarriage and, t- uh, and twins stillborn, um, and talking about the IVF community and how everyone shares and supports each other, people who understand it. And actually, that was a very interesting one because I interviewed two partners in the business. So one is, they're both friends of mine. One, one is one of my best friends, and she's had um, the, the losses. And the other is her business partner who doesn't, isn't supportive of her sharing for various reasons. So I interviewed both about... To, One's very open, the other's very closed. Uh, and looking at that dynamic and why and, and looking at the discussion, I've interviewed a former professional footballer, Premier League footballer, um, who then went to become a pro boxer um, and tried to kill himself uh, while he was a pro footballer. Um, and he talks a lot of mental health at the moment. He's just interviewed The Rock um, for a film that he's putting together. Um, I've interviewed... Um, one of our leading parliamentarians, and I'll be interviewing another one about politics and, and sharing. Fascinating. Um, so, so I'm going to get all these stories, and then I'm working with two uh, clinical psychologists, one in the UK, one in the US, um, and we're also going to do some research out of Chicago, looking at vulnerability with referrals, um, and which we're looking to, to present to one of the bigger uh, business magazines. This is so important. I mean, this goes back to what I was saying earlier about the increased awareness around isolation and loneliness and and how people need to start reaching out. And I think that this book sounds like a fantastic way to bring those stories to light. People can recognize themselves in them or their friends and loved ones and like start to figure out how to offer support. Oh my gosh, Andy, we could talk for hours. This has been such a fun and fantastic conversation. I'm sure my my listeners and readers will believe the same. So how can people find you and follow your work? Well, the, the advantage of having an unusual name like mine is I'm pretty easy to find as long as you can spell it. Um, so my Twitter handle is Andy Lapata, L-O-P-A-T-A, uh, facebook.com slash networking strategy. Uh, my website is andylapata.com uh, or lapata.co.uk, e- either works. 
um, and Google me and you'll find lots and lots and lots. If you go to our website, a um, couple of things that I would point people to. One is at the top of the page. Now, I say this, we're going to redesign it fairly soon, so position might shift, but it will all be there. Um, at the top of the page at the moment, you can sign up for my free weekly newsletter, um, which just gives a couple of videos, a couple of networking tips, and a bit of fun as well. The goal isn't to overburden you with lots of information. Mm -hmm. It's to keep you focused on your networking and just give you a little drip feed. I've recorded a series of videos, the A to Z of networking, which was sourced through my newsletter. So originally it was a written series of my newsletter. They're now videos. So every video, every newsletter has the latest in the A to Z of networking as well. So it's just keeps you focused um and the other thing is the resources page um and so on the resources page we've got podcasts webinars youtube videos and if you go to my if you look for me on youtube you go to my channel there's over 100 videos on there uh blogs and so on and so forth there's a host of free resources so please feel free to visit it and and make the most of it that's fantastic. Thank you so much. I will have all those links in the show notes at ontheschmooze.com in case you're driving or on your elliptical right now and you can't jot it all down. Go head over to ontheschmooze.com and you can check it out there. You'll find it under Andy Lapata's uh, uh, show. And thank you so much, Andy. This, this has been great. Robbie, thank you very much for having me on. I hope people find, found it valuable and that they give us some feedback and let us know what they've done as a result. I hope you enjoyed that interview with Andy. Such a pleasure to speak with him and learn about his leadership journey. What is your key takeaway from our conversation? Something you'll put into action this week that you'll benefit from for years to come. Share it resonated with you in the show notes at ontheschmooze.com. Look for episode 106. That's also where you'll find all the links and resources from today's episode. If you enjoyed this episode with Andy, please share it with your friends and don't forget to subscribe so you don't miss next week's show. Are you a fan? That's awesome. I'd love to read your review on iTunes. It's easy to find our iTunes page at itunes.ontheschmooze.com. Thank you in advance. And I look forward to connecting again next week when I'll be interviewing another talent professional about their untold stories of leadership and networking. We'll explore their career challenges, work-life balance, and how they built a strong professional network on their way to becoming successful leaders. Until then, have an amazing week. Thanks for listening to On The Schmooze podcast at www.ontheschmooze.com. That's On The Schmooze, S-C-H-M-O-O-Z-E. This podcast is heard along the Marketing Podcast Network. For more great marketing podcasts, visit marketingpodcasts.net.